Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Between the Lines. I want to let you know about my newest podcast. It's called Thoughts Through Time, and it can be found on your favorite podcast provider. In Thoughts Through Time, I take the wisdom and knowledge of great thinkers throughout all of history in order to better ourselves today and guide us to an even greater tomorrow. I hope you'll check out Thoughts Through Time and can always find it on my website at barrykibrick.com. While there, I hope you'll also think of becoming a patron so we can keep these podcasts coming to you. What if we could know what bad medical advice is and separate what's real from what's not? That's the mission of my guest, the award-winning pediatric surgeon and professor of head and neck surgery at UCLA, Dr. Nina Shapiro. Welcome, I'm Barry Kibrick, and with Dr. Shapiro's book, Hype, we delve deeply into a reassuring and yet scientifically-based response to many of the myths firmly held and the beliefs we and even doctors have about our medical health. Dr. Shapiro, this book is going to have to be read by everyone that has half a brain because it is one of the most important books that are out there, and I am so glad you've come and graced our set today. Well, it's great to be here. Happy to talk about it. All right. Let's begin with your chapter, Worry Warts and Fear Mongers, because the media right now has got us almost paralyzed by every new little myth, every new little something that comes out there. And you so carefully want to alert us, but you do so not just in your words, but through real scientific research. And more importantly, you really relate to your patients because even as a doctor, you admit you fall prey to some of the myths as well. Absolutely. And we all worry. And it's normal to worry. And the media has to give us this information and they have to give it quickly. They can't publish a 10-page article from a scientific journal and expect people to understand it and digest it. So they have to give these little pieces of information and it's going to draw us in. It's going to draw the listener or the viewer in. And it could be terrifying and it could be completely disorienting. And I understand. I don't know everything about health. I don't know everything about medicine. And and when I hear something about me, about that may relate to my family, we all worry. But what I want to do and what I try to do in, in this chapter and also in the book is really to allay some of these fears that people have. I need to make a little correction because you said you tried to do, you succeeded and you went beyond trying. Okay. I think that's important. But you also are aware of, as you call it, the wild west the Wild West of Internet Medicine, and these are your words, and you actually repeat the phrase a few times, So, I want, and I'm going to do it too, but in the deep waters of the Internet seas of health information, swim carefully. Yes, yes, and the Internet is an amazing source of information, but you have to understand how to use it. I think there should be classes, even as young as elementary school and high school, how to use the Internet appropriately and safely. If you are if you have a preconceived notion about anything health-wise or otherwise, 
you can put in a few words in a search engine and find what you're looking for. But but that's that's what you're hoping to find. But if you get back a little bit and look a little more purely at just one condition or one problem or one symptom or a question that you have, you'll get a lot more open information as opposed to just this narrow area that is really what you want to find. And you say, as again, we say doctors fall prey to this as well, but it also has made, you said, very noticeable difference about the patients now coming in to see you. Yes. Patients come in and one of the phrases that it's sort of mixed. In some ways I hate it. In some ways I appreciate it. I did my research. I did a lot of research on this area. That's what the patient will come tell me. And sometimes I'll ask, well, what lab do you work in? And where have you done your research? And, and they'll say, oh, no, 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 not that kind of research, my research. And sometimes that research is very interesting. And I, and I don't discount what the patient says. I want to hear what they, how they looked up what they were concerned about and what they found. And then I can go through whether I think it's valid or not. Um, but patients do come armed with a lot more information. For the most part, this is good. Well, you quote a doctor, Celis, I think it is. Maybe I've got the, the is it, what, what was the doctor that you quote? Well, I'll tell you what the Silent. Qu- Silent. And he said to you, and, and you believe this wholeheartedly, that the more you listen, the patient will eventually give you the proper diagnosis. They will hand it to you on a silver platter. It's amazing. And we don't realize how little we listen. I think it's something like an average of 25 seconds that a doctor will wait before they interrupt a patient who comes in to see them. And we, and, and, you know, yes, it's, it's easy to say, oh, it's the doctor's fault. But, you know, we are pressured to see more patients, to see more patients efficiently. We have all this electronic medical record keeping now. So there's a lot of pressure on both ends. But if we just every so often take a step back, listen to what the patient has to say, even if they're having this circuitous path of telling us, we can really find a lot of important information. But I've also been now to doctors where you almost never even look them in the eyes. They are literally sitting in front of a computer screen, filling in information. And I have to literally sometimes tap them on their shoulder and Mm -hmm. say, doctor, I am here. I don't care about that form. And, yeah. and if you don't, that's another thing you advocate. You have to be a strong patient when it comes yes. to this because yes. you can't have a doctor just filling out a form and not paying attention to it. Right. You. And I think if you have the luxury of choosing a doctor, you really want to have a doctor who's going to have a face-to-face relationship with you. You also in here, and this is why it's called hype, you say, putting risk into perspective. The one thing we Americans do is panic well. And you give so many great examples yeah. where, where you, I have to use one of them, where, you know, the greatest risk for anyone from one to 45 is an accident. Right. Yet we will fear the gun shooting in the school, the terrorist act right. here. We will fear the Ebola virus right. breaking out, the Zika virus. The, and yet none of that most likely will ever affect us. Will we trip and fall? Should we wear a safety belt? Should we wear a helmet when we ride our bike? Right. Those are the big issues. Exactly. And it's, and it is perspective, but we, we, we do worry really well. This country, especially, we do panic really well. And it's, it's exciting to think about, oh, wow, if I walk over there, I may get exposed to Ebola. Um, 
but I didn't get a flu shot this year. Well, the risk of dying from the flu, which isn't so exciting and glitzy and doesn't necessarily make headlines when Ebola is, is crossing the, the ocean, we'll worry about that. Y2K, perfect example. Everyone remembers where they were on December 30, you know, adults remember where they were on December 31st, 1999. We remember what we did to prepare. And everyone had their own thing that they did, whether it was related to their computer or their ATM or their food supply or, or their water supply. We all did something, even if it was on a small scale, and nothing happened. The clock turned and everything was fine. But how exciting was that for everybody to worry and panic together about this? Another thing, uh, and because I just love the line, so I am repeating it again, the power or not of genes. The gene pool is deep. Swim carefully. We are now so, we think we know so 23 plus, you know, Alton and me, and right. we think we know all the stuff about mm -hmm. genes and right. DNA and swim carefully because the truth is you could have every negative gene in your body, every sign that you're going to die of everything and none of it right. may happen. And the reverse, you can have perfect genes and no risk for anything and have this horrible illness as well. So I think that genetic testing is interesting. It's important. And I think from a large global standpoint, compiling all of our genetic data is very interesting long-term to understand disease risks. But individually, if you do this home genetic testing without any counseling that goes, that really should go with it, it's, it, it, it gives a false sense either negatively or positively that I'm not going to get this cancer. I don't carry that gene or I am going to get this cancer because I do carry that gene. And neither is really the case. But again, if the doctor's not aware of that, and, and we'll go to the one that's one of the most controversial, that BRCA gene for, for breast cancer, mm -hmm. uh, you may have that and not even be at risk of getting breast cancer. I mean, it may be in your genetic makeup, but right. you may just not have it. And right. we've known some celebrities that have gone through radical things. And right. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. In other mm -hmm. words, you in, in the book too always say, listen, this is a personal choice. Right. You have to know yourself, know, know thyself and right. heal, heal thyself to some sense of a way. Not that you don't need a doctor or a medicine, but you, know, you have to know yourself. But this, again, this panic is, is so dangerous on the personal level. Like you said, Knowing the great gene pool and stuff like that is wonderful. But on a personal level, sometimes information is too much information. It is, especially if you if you don't if you don't understand the implications. You know, BRCA gene is a perfect example. If you carry it, that is not a diagnosis of breast cancer. And if you don't carry it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have breast cancer. It's it's a small part and an important part of a risk profile, but it is not the be all end all for any genetic testing. One of the most important chapters in the book and one of the things that you draw out in little pieces throughout the whole book is what, what you call cause, link, and association. I need you to explain this because this is the thing, this misunderstanding in my part is the thing that's causing everyone to panic. Causing. Am I right? <laughs> it's Ca an association. Isn't it? It's an association. <laughs> and I'm linking it to that. Right, so, right. so explain that because I think if, if people can grasp what that means, I think they may be able to just take at least Lighten a deep breath. Lighten up a little bit. Lighten up. Lighten you up. said it. Beautiful. Um, so 
a cause has to be that one thing results in the other. We, the one thing we, I say we can know is that cigarette smoking causes lung cancer. But even with that, 100% of cigarette smokers are not going to come down with lung cancer either. But that's probably, from a health standpoint, the closest thing that we can really put a cause on. Everything else, cell phones cause cancer, turf, artificial turf causes cancer, plastics cause cancer. We can't say that. Barely an association. So an association means that something happens and something else happens at the same time. That doesn't necessarily mean that one causes the other. So the sun is shining and I got a cold. That doesn't mean that the sun caused my cold. That's a complete association, nothing to do with cause. And I think people put those together very frequently. But then you add the fake news and even the fake news by serious journals. And the classic one you give here is the one from the 1998 Lancet that came out about the MMR vaccines and causing autism. And to this day, although that was proven completely false, some of, and you even admit some of your, in fact, it's usually your best educated, your smartest, your wealthiest patients are still not getting vaccinated because they believe in certain rumors that have already been proven false. And your big thing, in fact, in the book is how do you get someone to change that belief once they have it? It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to change. And it's really, and and they'll they'll try to shift their belief a little bit. And that journal article 20 years ago, it has turned into a celebrity platform to use their sense of safety of not getting vaccines is that, oh, we don't get the illnesses anymore. I like to do use a gentle schedule. People look at this wonderful star and say, wow, they look really healthy and they have a lovely family. I'm going to follow what they do. So oftentimes people who use their platform, whether it's a celebrity platform, political platform, to, to give health information. And vaccine has been one of the most dangerous ones. You also want us to look for buzzwords. Miraculous groundbreaking, remarkable, and the one that I think is used most often and the most misleading, clinically proven. Right. All of them mean absolutely nothing. And clinically proven means the least of all of them because God knows maybe one of them may be miraculous, but clinically proven <laughs> is always a lie. Right. Means nothing. It's not, it's not horrible to say, but people have to understand that it really doesn't mean anything. It's not that thousands of people did this, drank this type of drink, or ate this kind of food, and had this kind of outcome. It's a a marketing term, purely a marketing term. Now, the one thing that I know everyone has trouble understanding, and I really try to, the few times I've had guests that could explain it, I want to do it again because the placebo effect. Everyone thinks the placebo effect is simply just your mind making believe something's Mm -hmm. happening. And it is so, it's such a wrong way of looking at it. The placebo effect is a real effect. It is known that, and and it's not a fake effect. It's not caused by your mind, just. It is something that is known throughout the medical scientific community And we look at it almost as, oh, it's just the placebo effect. You look at it seriously. So explain exactly what that is. 
So the placebo effect is, is being studied and it's fascinating because it is real. So even if you know you're having a placebo effect, it still works. So for instance, if you know that drinking this juice smoothie has no benefit to reduce the duration of your cold, but you think it will, then it will, or it might. And that's certainly fine. So the placebo effect does have a physiologic effect. It's not just psychologic. And again, it, what's fascinating to me is that even if you know it, you're taking a placebo, but you think that it's helping you or thinking it's keeping you healthy. For instance, vitamins, a perfect example. I know that vitamins are not necessary for my health, but I feel healthier when I take a vitamin. Complete, complete placebo effect. Oh, and I even have a regime that I do at the minute I have the feelings of a cold. Mm -hmm. By the way, viewers, if you'd like to know this regime, you can reach <laughs> me at Barry at BarryKibrick.com. I promise I'll let you know, and I'm not a doctor. But the point is... And you look very healthy. <laughs> I do. But the point is, it always works. Right. Now, when I read your book, I said, oh, the doctor may think... But then I said, wait a minute. But the placebo effect is real. Right. I know this always works. Mm -hmm. It always works. Right, right. And, and again, that's fine. I think it gets a little bit slippery when you say something that is potentially harmful. You know, for instance, right. if you take a certain regimen, whatever that is, I'm going to email you, um, that on the signs of a cold and the cold doesn't progress, that's fine. But it, it you know, for people who say, I only get the flu when I get the flu shot. So that kind of placebo effect uh, does not work. Moderation. It's not very glitzy. It's not very exciting. But for most things, moderation. The term organic, these are your words, is one of the worst misnomers of our era. Organic is, is a word that is used, thrown, wa organic water, organic coffee, everything, organic, organic table here. Um, it, it just, it, it's equated with healthy which is completely false. And when you go to a store, you go to a grocery store, there's the organic food and then the conventional food, which is, you know, sort of the awful stuff. And there is so little difference health-wise, and this has been looked at in very large studies, the, the outcomes of health from eating organic versus conventionally grown vegetables, fruits, you name it, is, is zero. Zero. It's not even a small percentage no, better. No, no. It's no better. It's What's better is that you're eating fruits and vegetables and not eating chips and soda. That's better, whether it's organic or conventionally grown. What's more important, and people are, are feeling terrible because, oh, I can't afford to buy organic food, and then they'll buy, you know, packaged food instead when they can just buy conventional. And, and it's very safe, and, and it's healthy. It's just as healthy. You also want to alert people about the desperation they feel, especially when they get the big C, the diagnosis of mm -hmm. cancer. Yeah. And you also want them to know that the complementary medicine that they may be using, as long as they don't use it in the vacuum of the conventional medicine, can actually really help improve. It's when you just do the one complementary medicine and you didn't take out the cancer or do what you're supposed to, and people claim they're feeling better, and then you've experienced it over and over in your practice, they come in, and unfortunately, the circumstances literally are life and death. Devastating. Yeah. And complementary alternative medicine is phenomenal when it's used as a complement 
to conventional therapy. So all of the medications that, that you hear about, these buzzwords about healthy and natural and holistic, it's for the most part fine. It may be useless, it may be harmless, um, but when used alone, especially for cancer treatment, it is absolutely dangerous and deadly. Another dangerous thing is oftentimes over-testing. And this is the line that caught me. When doctors are stuck with information, they have to act on it. So sometimes by going through lots of these full body scans, these things and whatnot, which may never have picked up anything, and you give exceptions. You are very careful to say, yes, there is one exception, but there's also 999,000 right. other people that are doing it. Yeah. And the doctor has to act on that information now. Right. And it's going to cause much more damage than not having certain tests. Yes. And you don't, you know, you don't go shopping for testing. It is really, we have guidelines for a reason. How often, for instance, colonoscopy, mammogram, electrocardiogram, basic testing that is very important at certain stages, at certain intervals. But if people just walk into some body scanner and find these what we call incidentalomas, which is really just an incidental finding that has no impact on the patient, we have to address it in some form. And again, sometimes you do uncover these horrible cancers that were hidden that save the patient because they would have been treated much later by the time they show symptoms. But the vast majority are these benign, unremarkable lesions that we have to address, biopsy, risks of surgery, biopsies that are completely unnecessary. You use this term that I think, I think people could really understand because it's so simple. Every road one takes for health has multiple forks in that road. And that's kind of an interesting notion because you can veer, you, you could really make some interesting mm -hmm. loops that you don't need to make if you have your own thought process going mm -hmm. with a doctor that may not be thinking as clearly. Right. Yeah. You've got to be careful. You do. And again, you can get to unnecessary places. Um, unnecessary testing can lead to more unnecessary testing and more complications from the unnecessary testing. So, you know, you really do need to step back sometimes and, and think about why you're doing what you're doing. And it shouldn't just be because I'm scared. I'm worried about this thing. Worry. We all worry. But, you know, you need to understand if that worry is valid and whether something does need to be explored or whether you're going to be taken down this potentially very dangerous path. And due to the rapid changes in everything, this is a little warning I want people to get to. The knowledge of today is the fool's thought of the future. And and whatever is, it's, wasn't it Woody Allen in Sleeper where he wakes up and he finds out that cigarettes and milkshake were really the best thing for you? <laughs> that's right. But that's somewhat what right. this is about, isn't yeah. it? The, we have no real idea. We keep making these new... Yeah. I've read enough stuff on wine being good and bad for right. you now that I just, you know... Drives I, you to drink. It drives... <laughs> I, I skipped wine. I went to straight hard liquor. Right, tequila. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, yeah. but that's a real problem. It is it? a problem, but it's also the nature of medicine. Yeah. If, we, if, we, if we stop and say, oh, we don't know, we just throw our hands up, then, then knowledge really ends and we get to these dead ends. And so well, I find it fascinating that is, is red wine, is that really the secret to longevity? Well, maybe, maybe not. Let's do some more testing. Let's look down the line. Let's look years later. And so, you know, that is the nature of medicine. It does evolve. What we thought was healthy 10, 20, 30 years ago may not be healthy 10, 20, 30 years from now. 
again, as you said, it, it, as you said earlier, it comes back to moderation, but you also say it comes back to common sense. Yeah. And what is it that the, the great line? The biggest problem with common sense is it's just not all too common. <laughs> but it, but really, if you can use common sense, and also I find if you can just listen to your body, let your body, if you mm-hmm. can relax enough. Your body will tell you certain things. And I always hear the people who say, you know, I had 103, but I still went to work. And I go, mm-hmm. well, you're a jerk. What can I tell you? If you have 103, <laughs> Or get you're in a doctor. Bed, or you're a doctor. Well, yes, that, but that's even worse right. when you think about it. Yeah. A doctor of all people should right. stay home when they have a fever. Just listen to your body and right. do the right thing. Right. And people also, when they listen to their body, sometimes they, they make a diagnosis. For instance, I have a, I'm feeling tired. I must be deficient in this vitamin. Or, well, maybe you just need some sleep. Yeah. Right. yeah. Now, one of the big things here, diet. Diet mm-hmm. is one of the, you talk about yeah. the industry that's just filled with hype. Colossal. Diet, yeah. and the other one is anti-aging. I'll let you cover them both in the same yeah. time because <laughs> they're really so similar. I mean, every darn thing you'll try to do to lose weight, every darn thing you're going to try to do to not look your age. Right, right. And, you know, sometimes a little extra weight when you get older is, is can be healthier. Oh, my sometimes. father is 91, and all he wanted to do would be thinner and thinner and thinner, and thank God. He's not now. He's healthier for it. He's way healthier. You know, I think diet, you know, what is the new diet? It really should be what is your diet. And and people get so wrapped up in, in gluten and dairy and juicing and cut this out and add some antioxidants and and if you if you just step back and say, I just need to eat healthy food and if gluten bothers my stomach, I won't eat so much carbs, but it's not necessarily that I have an intolerance or I cut out dairy and I don't get sick anymore. It's, it's all, it's it's a little bit of nonsense and people get so focused on this as opposed to just eating sensibly. It's not so exciting, but, but you'll probably feel better and you won't have to think about it so much anymore. Well, as I told you, I only go to doctors that make me feel better. And Doc, (laughs) you just made me and my viewers feel better. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us. Now, before Dr. Shapiro leaves, I'd like to leave you with these words from Hype. Optimal health is easier to achieve than you think. It may always be a moving target, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the ride. I'm Barry Kibrick. Between all the hype and misinformation, we can look for that moving target of good health, and we might as well Enjoy the ride while we do. Thank you again, Doc. Pleasure. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Between the Lines. I want to let you know about my newest podcast. It's called Thoughts Through Time, and it can be found on your favorite podcast provider. In Thoughts Through Time, I take the wisdom and knowledge of great thinkers throughout all of history in order to better ourselves today and guide us to an even greater tomorrow. I hope you'll check out Thoughts Through Time and can always find it on my website at barrykibrick.com. While there, I hope you'll also think of becoming a patron so we can keep these podcasts coming to you.